can't never stop working hard. Each day I feel I have to improve. Hard work, determination. I've got to keep pushing myself. Welcome to Haya, the only podcast that thinks a heavy bag is a serious medical condition. <laughs> <laughs> Episode number 10, recorded July the 8th, starts now. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> medical condition heavy bag. Yeah, that's right. You I thought you were going to say in-law, but never mind. <laughs> no, 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 no. You need a wheelbarrow to deal with that. Yeah. Uh, so, we're back and we're in the uh, the shiny new studios at uh, Shea's Dave. Shea Dave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, we probably owe everybody out there a little bit of an explanation for what's been going on with the podcast recently. Um, I think so. I need an explanation. I'm wondering what the hell's going on. Yeah, you're confused too. I always am. Um, <clears throat> well, if you've noticed in the feed, uh, the last couple of shows, uh, have uh, we got the bonus episode, the interview with uh, Chris Bates out there, and we also have the episode. Hell of an interview, by the way. Yeah, yeah. We really enjoyed that. So we may talk to him again, because uh, I'd only had three hours of sleep when I did that interview, because <laughs> <laughs> we were working with the Taiwan time thing. and. Right. Uh, too late. I was not as sharp as I could have been, but uh, he was on point, so oh, that, yeah, he was. that's the important thing. And... Uh, um, and we've got episode nine, which should be released, uh, uh, by, by this Monday, by yeah. the time you're listening to this, that should be the one coming out before that. Now, both of those episodes were recorded over a month ago. Yeah, true, true. So we've, uh, we we've have had not, some upheavals. Yeah. We've not been dead in the water that whole time though. So here's what's happened. Uh, uh, Magnificent Jay, our intrepid producer, uh, has just gotten incredibly busy. And now, just to put this in context so you don't think we had a falling out or something, I initially asked him, because of his expertise, to tell me how to do a podcast to help me figure it out. And he said, oh, well, you know, I've been thinking about podcasts lately, so why don't I just do it with you? And we can do that. And so that was fantastic, and those early episodes sounded really good. Thanks yes, to, they did. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, Thank he's you just, so much, guy. He's just gotten too damn busy. Yeah, um, and he's also got some other podcasting projects that he's branching off into. So he's got the bug, but he's he got a lot indeed. of paying work to do and uh, a lot of other stuff going on. So he's going to take a back seat and let us produce this ourselves now. So uh, kudos to him for doing that for us. And also, Magnificent Jay is not gone. Uh, we've already been talking about uh, putting a, a, a show up pretty soon where uh, we discuss the old-school kung fu movies for a good portion of the show. And we're going to have Mag J back on for that because he doesn't do kung fu, but he sure did watch the hell out of it for a long time. <laughs> yes, indeed. He can talk some kung fu now. Absolutely. And he can watch it, you know, even if he doesn't do right. it. Right. And uh, we may... He's, there's he's, no bad blood here, folks, just to let you guys know. There's no arguments or anything else like that. Uh, we're all good. Yeah. It just took a little time to sort it out, and uh, I, I had to spend a little money, but I was glad to do it because I'm going to have all kinds of fun with this uh, stuff. I was gonna... glad for you to do it, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have, for once, I happened to have a little just laying around, burning a go. hole in my pocket. So, uh, you know, I got me a little device. It's, it's a little R24 recorder, so uh, this should sound decent when it hits your ears. Um, and uh, I had to buy some microphones and some stuff. You know, I had to get some gear. And uh, then I had to spend a little time learning how to use the gear, which hopefully I'm 
doing it correctly now. <laughs> I just had to look at the machine and make sure it was actually Are we recording. in record? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, also learning how uh, to do some of the back-end stuff after you record it. Uh, and uh, Mag J was very helpful with that also. He's still on the line. You know, when I, I text him when I get confused, and he texts me back, uh, I don't know what the hell you did, man. <laughs> <laughs> Where is this being saved to? So, uh, yeah, Craig's a little confused because we've been using a computer to record yeah. up till now. Uh, this little unit that I bought has a has a SD card ah, in it. Okay. Yeah, it's got a 32 gig SD card. And so you just slap that into your laptop. Uh, you don't even need to do that. You can just USB right in there, right. and you're in business. So, uh, well, you know, it, I'll be. This will be the first time I have to mix down the podcast from this new machine. So, you know. I'm going to shoot to get it out on time. <laughs> and that's the other thing we want to say is uh, we're going to try to do one of these every week for you now, folks. So yes, indeed. That's your reward for hanging in there with us where we had that little dry spell and weren't putting anything out. Um, we had recorded a lot and gotten ahead of ourselves with recording. And uh, so now now we're we're back, hopefully setting a new groove. That new this, groove. Yeah. Now, you may not get a two-hour-plus episode every time, but some of you will probably be grateful for that. I'd but, say most of the time. Yeah. So, uh, you know, instead of instead of two hours-plus every two weeks, you're going to get an hour-plus every week. And you guys got to know that two hours listening time for you, for us, is usually six to eight hours in production time of drinking beer, smoking, arguing, uh, having technical difficulties. Yeah. And after, for me personally, Craig, being out teaching class in the hot sun for like four hours prior, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a task. So this is great for everybody. Well, the the way we're doing it now, I have a very simple machine. Uh, Jay was using all of his fancy recording computer stuff, which was kind of overkill for a podcast, actually. Right. Although it did sound great. Um, so I've got a simpler machine, should be simpler editing for us, and, uh, and you know. Simpler format, too. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so the format roughly going forward, and we're not going to take much more time on this, but we wanted to line everybody out on what was happening. Format going forward is more or less going to be, uh, you'll get an interview one week and a discussion topic the next with whatever segments we decide to tack on mixed in there. So you'll probably get news every couple of weeks. And you'll get a media mop-up when it's appropriate. You'll, you'll see some new segments coming into this as we move forward. Indeed. And you're going to see some more flexibility. Uh, I'll go ahead and tease this. In a couple of weeks, we have an interview with a gentleman who has a, has a lot of knowledge about uh, MMA and Sambo. He's both a, a coach and a fight promoter, and he's written some uh, interesting articles on the state of regulation, especially with amateur MMA and some of the deaths we've had recently. Yeah. And, and you've seen what's going on up in Canada, too, recently. Yeah. And they're, they're opened up, you know, youth MMA amateur leagues and all this. And, right. And the yeah. paralysis from the guillotine show. There's, there's mm -hmm. a lot of stuff that we want to talk to this guy about. So, you know, that'll be partly an interview and partly just a, 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 an expert guest for uh, a, our a discussion, discussion topic. Yeah. So the the format's going to get a little more fluid. So, you know, don't let that confuse you. And as always, we ask for your input. Uh, Hi Op Podcast uh, uh, mailbag at com. That's one way. We got our Facebook page. There's also Go to the website. You can, you can fill out a form on the contact us and drop in uh, comments on each individual episode. You know, whatever you like, but keep it coming, babe. That's right. So we're going to carry a bag of ice to the Champagne Lounge, and we'll be back with our interview this week 
which is going to be squaring away the imbalance where you got to know one host really well, <laughs> but the other host not so well. I tried to hide, but he found me. I found him. So we're going to talk a lot with Craig about his life and training, and uh, we're going to dig into Northern Shaolin and find out what that's all about. So uh, we'll be back in just a moment. Okay, folks, we're back. Um, and Ooh. quickly, before we move on, uh, one other thing I wanted to mention, if you hear a quiet hum in the background, <laughs> it's not a flaw in the machinery. What it's, what it's a flaw in is the weather in That's Atlanta. Right. We've been pegging 105 a couple of days the last mm-hmm. week. So we're not doing this without an air conditioner. If, if <laughs> I'm going to try to get that hum out of the uh, end product, but if it's in there, then just feel a little cooler when you hear it. <laughs> hey, that's pretty cool. I like that. We can't like have that. the ice melting uh, in the champagne. I wish it was a little bit cooler. I wish it was a baller. A little bit taller. That's right. If you had a... Oh, never mind. <laughs> we are not rappers. Um, okay, so our guest this week is your intrepid co-host, Craig Keesling. Howdy and uh, yeah, and I'm glad we can get this out of the way now because in the first ten episodes, it's good to get a little more depth on Indeed. who your hosts are. And I know there's a lot of people out there that are very interested in Northern Shaolin, so this uh, this hopefully will be entertaining and enlightening for all so. of you folks. So let's get right into the nitty gritty here, fella. Nitty gritty, bring um, it on. Let's get some personal details about you first. Um, All right. uh, You know, I've known you for a long time, so I'm just going to kind of pretend I don't for this interview and ask what, uh, hopefully ask what a listener might ask you uh, if they were inquiring uh, about your past and your martial arts. Mm. Uh, So tell us a little bit about uh, how you got started. Uh, Well, um, I had, uh, you know, I hate to sound like cliche, but I had a troubled youth. Uh, Literally, my, my, uh, Growing up as a kid was was kind of rough. Uh, my parents were, uh, you know, alcoholics, hardcore, and and uh, had some really rough problems in the family life. So I was always on the lookout for something to to latch on to. And believe it or not, as many of our past uh, interviewers, you know, have mentioned different martial arts movies and things like that, that they're like, oh, I want to be like that guy. Um, I have one, and it's probably very different from what uh, you would guess. Uh, believe it or not, for me, it was Billy Jack. Um, oh, yeah. I love Billy Jack. <laughs> I'm going to take this boot off. That's right. And I'm going to kick you with this foot right <laughs> here. Across that side of their face, and there's not a goddamn thing you can do about it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I've had to show it to uh, my wife on pie uh, two or three times. She can't stand it, and she's like, "Why do you keep wanting to watch this old cheesy hippie movie?" And I'm like, "Because it's the greatest thing ever made." I don't know. <laughs> yeah. We're all creatures of our era. That's right. But uh, but yeah, it was it was that it it um, it quickly hit on to uh, a, a few aspects in life that I wanted. 
Uh, one was, you know, obviously the tough guy in control of uh, himself and his situation, um, but also uh, kind of the peace-loving guy, the guy, you know, not the bad guy, somebody that would uh, tough but beat people up, you know, not for any cause, but he was, he was the hero, so to speak, and, and was doing things for other people and all that good stuff. And, um, you know, so there was that whole hippie love piece, and, and yet I'll still whoop your ass in one wallop if need be aspect and i loved that about that because um for those of you who know me you know i'm not just a get out and bar brawl type guy you know i'm, I'm more of a laid back never fellow. oh well we, that's another <laughs> we'll, part we'll of the story <laughs> <laughs> yeah but as a child nevertheless um i was you know looking into that sort of thing so <clears throat> what happened was uh i kind of started out with uh uh Geez, I believe it was Shotokan, I can't remember, but uh, karate. Um, and I went actually with my father, um, and he took the class with me. And uh, it was a YMCA production. You know, we had padded mats and a big uh, basketball gym, and we did all this stuff. And to be honest, I just enjoyed um, doing something with my dad. Um, and it was one of my interests, and he was sacrificing for me. And so I love that. Um, needless to stay, say, I didn't stick around with it much. It, it, it wasn't my thing. I can't remember the details. I mean, I was, you know, seven years old, something like that. Well, um, I'll, uh, let me just interject yeah. here a little bit uh, about your dad because he, he maintained an interest uh, through through his entire life in your martial arts career. Although, and I think we mentioned this on the show before, at one point he was reduced to smuggling Kool-Aid to us in the in the field when, when we weren't supposed to be drinking liquids yeah, true. <laughs> during the breaks. True. He would hide in the woods and he would see you wander away for the break and he would come out with the Kool-Aid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I love the guy because this cracks me up. After, after he passed away, my father, um, I was talking about him one day with David, you know, and we were talking about something about the training and he, and he mentioned, yeah, and your dad brought out the Kool-Aid and so on. I'm like, what? I mean, I never actually knew this was going down at all. Yeah. He did it very I th- ninja style. I think he picked up some ninja skills in that Shotokan <laughs> yeah, class. No so I doubt. think he did. But anyway, please move along with your story. Sure. Um, and so even though I didn't stick around with this thing, uh, my dad and I did over time, you know, end up doing other activities together from fishing to, believe it or not, um, oh, Jesus, what do you call the four-part harmony? Uh, barbershop quartet. Barbershop, yeah. yeah. Because he was a barber shopper back in his day, and he also was in the military and did a lot of uh, judo and stuff. Um, on my parents' first date, he threw my mom as she walked into uh, his room, you know, and threw her onto the bed and all that kind of stuff. So I remember hearing stories like this, and so I knew I wanted to learn this kind of stuff because it was cool. I see the big, cool guys on TV doing it. And I knew that uh, my dad, who, you know, we all as boys look up to our fathers one way or another for some reason or another, um, rightfully or deservedly or not, you know. Um, so I wanted to be a little like him, too. So that was constantly on my mind. So I went through a phase where I was looking and looking and ended up after that at uh, Kim Brothers Karate. Um, which was actually Taekwondo. Right. I was about to say that's sort of an oxymoron there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they, I don't know why, but that's what my school was called, was Kim Brothers Karate. But it was it, Taekwondo. It's funny, you know, typically there's no love lost between the Japanese and the Koreans. Exactly. But it's, Koreans will not hesitate to call their stuff karate if it brings people <laughs> through the door. <laughs> I, I'm like generalizing here, but yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. 
Yeah, there's there's a little bit of a money thing going on there. Um, and oddly enough, uh, I was thinking about this the other day when I realized that you were going to interview me, and uh, I was like, Kim Brothers Karate, what do I even remember about that period of time? I remember where the school was located, and I also remember, um, believe it or not, we would walk into the, I guess you call it a dojang. I don't know if yeah, they would dojang. call it that but um yeah and you know how you bow before you enter into the mats or the little area and uh, we would say patience and uh huh. yeah <laughs> it was obviously a school directed towards you know children and self-confidence patience is a verse too and so on and so forth you know kids need that they do and, and they the parents need the hour and a half break <laughs> yeah <laughs> parents need the patience being one sometimes too <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Oh man, but yeah, um, and I actually remember my uh, the most off time uh, student teacher there was a brown belt. I can picture him in my mind, and I don't know why. You know, evidently I looked up to this cat for some reason, and the only thing I came up with um, is that I realized he was. I learned this really early on, something that uh, as I went through martial arts later in life. Uh, that I tried to work at was finding a balance in life. Um, trying to be this guy who likes traditional martial arts and can do physical activities and do this fighting stuff, but maybe he likes peace and all that. And at the same time, have a real life, a normal life, you know. Maybe he's the cool kid at the back of the bus, or maybe he had a job as a stockbroker, you know. Um, a secret identity, as it were. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And uh, he he seemed to, to have found a way to strike that balance and i loved it you know um and i still respect that even to this day even though taekwondo is 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 not my uh, art of choice you know anymore um i still look back at the image of this guy and say wow he did it so so that was that and i didn't stick around with that too much longer either but uh, i stuck around i think a couple of years enough to get uh, i got two trophies um you know, and I think they were the type of trophies where everybody wins type of thing uh, when I was growing up. You got the little guy on the top there doing the sidekick. Exactly. Yeah. Everybody has one of those, you know. Um, Wait, I, I don't have one. I got disqualified in my Taekwondo oh, tournament. Oh, please. But, <laughs> but this ain't about me. <laughs> I think you were, the, the trophy was modeled after you. Mm, that's possible. Yeah, that possible. But yeah, um, so I stuck there, you know, long enough, but, but uh, it, over time there was finance issues, trouble in the family, and I just, I kind of gave up. I had some other things, but I still needed something outside of my family to, um, to support me, to find, to help me build strength, self-confidence, all that. I, you know, I was a, uh, a tiny guy. I'm, shit, I'm still a tiny guy, you know. I'm not uh, uh, anything to look at, really, physically. Um, I don't know. At our age, that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, true. Creeping into our forties, I've thickened up considerably. You still, <laughs> you're still about the same size you used to be. <laughs> yeah, well, true. Yeah. <laughs> um, not any fault of my own, you know. That's for sure. I won't take credit for that. Well, it's probably that diet of kimchi and bananas you were on <laughs> for so long. <laughs> it's a great diet. That's what I'm going to stand we're, by. We're hopping ahead a little bit. but um, uh, yeah, That's right. So uh, it sounds like we're getting to where you uh, found Northern Shaolin. It sure is. Um, so, you know, as I got, uh, got older, uh, at this point, I was about 10, 11 years old. And uh, here in Atlanta, they have this free magazine or free newspaper 
um, that is kind of geared towards the music and entertainment industry, but it's changed over the years now, growing other stuff, creative loafing. So if you wanted something weird, uh, community, uh, an arts festival, um, you know, the underground, so to speak, that's where you went. You went uh, to your local city block, your your new age store, your bookstore, anything, um, and you picked up one for free. And so I did that, and I was looking into the you know uh, classifieds for um, health and new age, you know, because there wasn't a martial arts section at that time, and and that's where it would be found. And I found this listing for a uh, traditional Thai Taoist Tai Chi, um, you know. I was like, you know, that sounds kind of cheesy, but it sounds kind of cool, too, you know? And I want to find out about that. Cause As opposed to the Eastern Orthodox Tai Chi. Well, you yeah. Know. <laughs> I mean, you know, at years later, I would come to understand Taoist-type stuff is, is much more segmented, you know, like any religion, all this right, kind of shit. But right. at the time, I just thought, hey, they were cool dudes with superpowers. So, I mean, I was 10 years old, so what, Yeah, <laughs> of <Right>. course. So... <laughs> But I also knew Tai Chi as that stuff on the movies that the old p- people do really slow, and it's useless for fighting, and it's, you know, it's good for parents, you know, all that kind of crap. But my thinking is, hey, I, you know, I've been watching these kung fu movies, you know, on Channel 69, Black Belt Theater, I've been seeing Bruce Lee, you know, I've got posters of him up by this time all yeah. over my bedroom wall. Um, he's my God, you know, and I, I sit there and I pray to him. No <laughs> joke. Okay? I wrote to his wife several times. I mean, I, I went stalker all up on this junk because I was like, yeah, I know I've got the foo inside me. I just got to find it. And I saw from all these movies, Shaolin monks, and they were like, they were the king. You know, nobody can beat a Shaolin monk. Right. So, uh, so I'm like, that's what I need to learn. So. Uh, you know, I looked through the papers, I looked in the phone book under karate, you know, of course there is no Kung Fu section. It's all karate at that point. And, uh, finally in creative loafing, I see this Taoist Tai Chi. I call him up, get this chick on the line who I later found out, uh, was the wife. And I'm asking her about, I'm like, I know that this guy teaches the Tai Chi. I'm not interested in that, but do you think he'd know where like the Shaolin Kung Fu is? And she said, well, as a matter of fact, on Saturdays, uh, that's what he teaches, Northern Shaolin. And so, of course, I wet my little britches and giggled <laughs> with glee. I found it. I found it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and uh, that began a, a lifelong history. And uh, just to give you a, a short story about my first class, because it was uh, kind of funny, was... Uh, my dad was really happy uh, to to drive me out because he knew I was I was depressed and angry with the with the situation at home and that I was looking for something and that I finally found it and like dad this is everything I want please you know drive me out there. So he takes me out and of course uh, the classes were like seven o'clock in the morning on Saturday. No normal uh, adult would agree to be there, but mm-hmm. I was a kid and didn't have any reason to be up late Friday night. Right. <laughs> so. He takes me out there, and um, it's it's at the guy's house, and it's in not in a subdivision, but a freestanding house, back in in the woods, literally. <laughs> and the driveway is like you know five hundred yards long, winding, winding through these trees. I mean, you can't see the house from the road. And Did you hear faint strains of banjo music in the distance? <laughs> <laughs> no, but but I'd like you know to have had that memory. That would that would add a new new uh, element to it. That really would. 
<laughs> then I would learn pig style. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh. Mm. <clears throat> so anyway, I went walking up there, and, you know, it's early in the morning, so you had the mist and all this. And, you know, it's just a, a, a house back in the woods. But in my little uh, kung fu fantasy land mind, I'm walking up to this great Shaolin temple and all this magical mist, you know. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, the guys are uh, very Taoist and Buddhist and into the spiritual stuff. So as I'm walking down, I'm smelling the incense, you know, and I'm hearing wind chimes and all this. And it was it was really uh, Disneyland of Kung Fu for me as I'm making this trudge up there. And uh, so I get there and he's sitting on the on his, you know, in front of the house, drinking tea and reading the I Ching or some nonsense. And um I greet him, you know, but he, he obviously looks old and skinny, and I'm like, well, uh, all right, I need to see your son, you know, I'm here for his Kung Fu class. And uh, he said, oh, okay, and he points around the side, and they had built on an addition to the house, and we go in. Uh, that's where they teach the, you know, the Kung Fu. So I go in there, and it's a beautiful setting, you know, uh, floor-to-ceiling, uh, what do you call them, windows, you know, plush carpeting that has some spring underneath and everything it was it was an awesome setup i wish i had one of those now but um so i got in and started stretching and stuff and evidently i was i was early so i'm watching and meeting people as they come in and the last one to come in is this big beefy guy who's in his 30s and to me you know looks like the instructor he's kind of he's got some muscle on him you know right, and he right. he's like the guy and so I'm following him around, you know, even before class, and I'm kind of, yeah, well, I've seen this movie. Have you seen this movie? And I want to learn this, and you know, yeah, <laughs> and I'm, you know, I'm being the kid, right? And uh, then, so he starts warming us up, and and we go through some exercises and all that, and then about halfway through the warm ups, this, this old skinny guy comes in who I know just know is is his dad, you know, and um, so I'm like, I'm like. Thank you for introducing to me your son. I, his, you know, I'm. I think I'm going to stay here a long time. I can't remember exactly what I said, but I said something cheesy and completely wrong and rather offensive, actually. <laughs> and uh, he ignores me and then walks up to the front of the class. And of course, uh, Larry, the senior student, the big guy, uh, takes his spot at the back of the class while the real teacher begins teaching. Um, so that was one lesson I learned early on: is don't assume. Uh, you know, the whole ass and you and me thing. Yeah. And Put then, by the cover. Exactly. And then the next uh, joke that was had on me during this exact same class was after we finished the warm-ups, did our little uh, breathing exercises, um, is that one by one, you know, at the end of the warm-ups, we're all sitting there in, in Indian-style pose, if you would, or lotus, whatever, and we're doing what we call nine breaths, breathe in, inhale the positive energy, exhale the negative energy, but more of, so of just get control of yourself and, and get a, a back to a fresh state, you know, physically and mentally. And um, one by one, all the guys in the class go popping up and dashing out the door of the side of the house and the side of this coon. And nobody has given me any instructions as to what I'm supposed to do. So I'm watching them one by one. I'm like, I guess I go too. And so out I dash out the door, and I see they've headed towards the right around the side of the house. And, I mean, they're literally running in these kung fu outfits, right? So I go following them around, and we're going back in these deep woods down this path. 
like what the hell is going on and and, and they i mean they have taken off not just jog i'm talking sprint and it's like they've agreed to leave me behind or some shit. Last one there is a rotten egg. Yep. <laughs> and I had no idea what was going on. but I, and I, So I end up at the destination about 10 to 15 minutes later because this path kind of has some, you know, Forks other paths. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I have no idea where the hell to go. But finally, I, you know, I end up, and it's a good 500,000 yards down uh, at this random tennis courts in the middle of the freaking woods out of nowhere not attached to his house their house anybody's house just plop down in the middle of nowhere and that's where we practice form work and uh applications qigong and all that junk so by the time i get there of course everybody's doubled over laughing at me and pointing at me saying glad you found it welcome you've made it through the first test you know so that was that was uh, another lesson also that I would I would recall later when I become a teacher um, is that surprise is good. Surprise is good. Yeah, yeah. I've noticed you like to be mysterious at times. So indeed. <laughs> so um, all right. Well, that's how you got started, and you you trained uh, for many years, even at one point living with your teacher. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, indeed. And. Uh, I've heard you tell stories before too about uh, you know doing your ton toy three times before school, three mm-hmm. times after school. I would have been too sweaty to go to school. Yeah, well, after the first time through, but <laughs> you're a different animal than me. So <laughs> I know you, you are the guy who sweats a lot. I am, but you know, I actually uh, did do that, but and I did it at the school. The cool thing was I I brought a change of clothes and I just would go into the showers and change beforehand. Nice, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, for, you know, I'm sure there's none of my high school class listening, but if they were, they would tell you my nickname all through high school was Ninja, and <laughs> it's because of this reason. Yeah. I would do this on the track, uh, you know, surrounding the football field, and a lot of people saw me. So you'll see all my graduating, you know, yearbooks say "Dear Ninja." <laughs> you know? Well, you know, if if you got to be something in high school, you could do worse than Ninja. Yeah, true, yeah. true. Unfortunately, I didn't really live up to that name. I was still a scaredy cat most of the way through high school until probably my senior year when I finally had my like eighties movie breakout day, you know, where I finally walloped up on somebody and like had my cheered. Yeah. Go ninja. Yeah. Go ninja. <laughs> okay, great. Um well let's since we've hit this point and we're talking about Northern Shaolin already. Let's uh, let's dig into the style that sure. uh, that you primarily teach here for a minute. Uh, and uh, you know, I've seen you roll your eyes before sometimes when people will talk <laughs> about Northern Shaolin in a very general sense because that's that's become a catch-all term. Yes. for a large, large body of stuff. But uh, tell us what your lineage is and how it came to be called Northern Shaolin. Sure. Um, yeah, what Dave's, what Dave's talking about and, and the way I kind of describe it to my, my new students, because a lot of times when I get inquiries about, you know, I want to study Northern Shaolin and be like the monks I see on TV, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on here. And basically the way I describe it is this, Northern Shaolin can be looked at as an adjective or a verb, uh, I'm sorry, or a proper noun. Um, and as an adjective it is descriptive. It's northern, literally describing uh, stuff above the Yellow River, you know, the Shaolin at 
Honan Temple, if you would, that kind of Shaolin. And then the Shaolin. It's, oh, Shaolin stuff. It's at the temple or was at the temple and yada, yada, yada. Or it has Shaolin-esque um, attributes, that sort of thing. Usually anything um, that has reference to the word Shaolin doesn't mean you will find that style at the temple today uh, or 20 years ago, 30 years, even 100 years ago. Um, it can mean one of two things. One, it's influenced by things from Shaolin. Or two, it was at Shaolin Temple at some point in time. Um, Shaolin in, in the darker past was uh, was sort of a clearinghouse for a lot of martial arts mm-hmm. stuff and a refuge and stuff would come and go. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's why a lot of times when people say I study Shaolin, uh, it kind of cracks me up um, because that tells me a lot. When when you don't say anything further than that, you know, it tells me the time period of the material that you got, you know, and it's usually very contemporary. Um, mm-hmm. The reason for that, because real Shaolin is not called Shaolin. It's called something else. It could be called Hungar, for example. Hungar is a Shaolin-derived style. Um, a lot of styles are like that, and many times you know throughout history you'll have many different styles of kung fu being practiced within shaolin temple all at the same time uh you'll hear the rumors about courts and gates and all this kind of stuff and those refer to different styles and specialties uh, of martial arts practitioners in there and it could be something that was an official curriculum or something as simple as a general is done with fighting or perhaps there's a bounty on his head and he's gaining some refuge there at the temple. He gets religious asylum, basically. Exactly. For, yeah. And he's like, hey, check out my Taizu Chan, you know, or check out my white ape, you know, whatever it might be. But um, so that's, you know, kind of the short of how it's a verb. You also have, you know, long fist styles, uh, which are uh, literally long fisted as in uh, a long range attack and defend type thing. I'll pump you know i'll jump in i'll jump out i'll deal with your fists you know uh and block and evade you there and throw my long kicks in uh, but i won't get in and worry about grappling so much and all this kind of stuff um <clears throat> so you'll find northern shaolin being used that way as northern styles long fisty styles external styles all within that range um some people will just call this northern shaolin it's accurate um, but it just it annoys me a little bit when Dave says r- rolls my eyes because I prefer it, you know, since I practice and teach his style. Um, I go by a, a noun uh, kind of translation. For, for me, um, it's a very specific style. But at the same time, I'm also annoyed. I wish we did have a very different name for it so we could avoid all this nonsense. Yeah, well, <laughs> and that's, maybe you can come up with a, something catchy as you go along. Yeah, <laughs> they, this goes into part of uh, the lineage thing, too, um, is because technically Northern Shaolin, as a name of a style, uh, has not been around for very long. Kuyu Chung. Um, yeah, give us the background on that. Yeah. Um, all right, so when we get into history and lineage um, of, of Northern Shaolin, there is a, a one spot in everybody's history and lineage that we all agree upon. And after that, it's when you throw up your hands and it's up to guesswork. Um, I wouldn't say guesswork. Different people do have different records that go past that or before him. Um, but different people have papers that conflict that, you know. And so you have right. many different theories, many different... Uh, factual truths swear up and down, you know, everything else. That it came through Shaolin and was there all along. That it's the original Shaolin. Uh, that 
you know, it came through Gu Yuchang's father and, you know, the teachers uh, before him that it's mainly Muslim style influence. Um, you have some people who say Gu Yuchang made all the shit up, you know. Uh, there's all kinds of different theories out there. But anyway, um, Northern Shaolin's in its modern, um, I guess, Inclin version, yeah. inclination, is, is not super old at all. Um, you know, maybe 200, no, less than that, 100 and something years ago. Um, let me put it this way. I was taught by uh, two different teachers. Frank Gibson uh, was my main teacher, uh, another teacher in, in Singapore named Lao Fulin. And <clears throat> uh, above them, um, you have different people. But uh, with Frank Gibson, it was a guy, uh, two different people. One, uh, Kenneth Chen, um, not Kenneth Wei, uh, who, oddly enough, is another Northern Shaolin uh, master who taught different people. It's right. like cousin style if you would. Um, but, uh, you know, he's another Kenneth, sim similar lineage and all that kind of stuff. Uh, another guy was John Lupos uh, down in Florida and California and all that good shit. Um, and then you have uh, Chen Kwok Wai, who is our current grandmaster, um, who both of these characters studied under, but at different times. Who He's down actually in South, uh, South America, Brazil, I believe mm -hmm. it is. And... Um, Brazil or Argentina? I can't remember. I can't, I think it was Argentina. Uh, you know, maybe we'll get <laughs> I don't know. maybe we'll get Nelson Ferreira on sometime to talk go. about that side of it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that'd be great. Payback for you guys up there. Yeah, exactly. But um, <clears throat> okay, and then above him you have uh, Yim Xiang Mo um, or Yan Mu, you know, different pronunciations and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and then you jump up to the guy who's famous for the system, uh, Gu Yuchang, and. Uh, some people say guru, like a, a guru, Guru Zhang. And he was famous because what he did was, uh, first off, great at marketing, great at PR, great at uh, public face. He systematized the system so that right now, all of us, regardless of what sub-style of Northern Shaolin we teach, we the core is pretty much the same of what we teach and offer. Um, it's kind of the the emphases, the applications, perhaps a pr some of the principles, strategies, um, and especially the extra stuff you can learn uh, is, is slightly different. But the core is all the same, and that that core was created by Gu Yuchang. Now, granted, uh, what he created was ten forms. Um, well, no, he didn't create ten forms. He systematized these ten forms and, and the progression of them. Uh, but at the time, when he first did this, he made it one through ten. You learn number one, you learn number two, you learn number three, which right. makes sense. Uh, but believe it or not, and it went on that way for a great many years, uh, but not until the recent uh, 50s, 60s of this past century in the 1900s, um, a few different people decided... Well, you know, number one is like the biggest damn form in the system and has some of the most complicated techniques. Guru Chang's idea in that is if I give you a buttload at the front, well, then everything else is cakewalk after that, you know. Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, I can understand that, but everybody else is like, yeah, but that also intimidates people. So yeah. <laughs> what we had was a shifting of the order of learning the uh, the forms in the curriculum, Um 
from a, a few different people. And um, so now you start off, pretty much everybody starts off with number six and seven, you know, and from there it starts to branch. Different branches might teach eight next. Different people might teach four. Um, you might have a weapon introduced, all that kind of stuff. So he, he systematized the system. He also got in the face of the public by doing a lot of public shows. Uh, his He's well known for Iron Palm. He's well known for his iron vest you know and things there's, like that there's all those famous photographs out exactly. there from i guess those are from the 20s yep uh with him breaking stacks of roofing tiles mm -hmm. and having a model t parked on his yeah. <laughs> stomach uh right yeah <laughs> that and another famous one um oh, there's there's a few famous but those are more famous than others there a couple of others that uh are also kind of famous one is um of the form that I'm teaching my, my two students, you actually got to see a piece of it today, the two-man form, uh, the ending part of it, which is mainly based on chin ah, graps and stuff, where he's doing it with somebody, or one of his, uh, or his students are, I can't remember which, but there's a part where somebody's being grabbed, and then you step behind, and, you, and you, you're behind the back going at it, you know. And that's kind of cool. And then there's, uh, there's another one, I believe, of him doing uh, a spear, uh, and that's kind of another famous black and white, you know. But yeah, so <clears throat> after I skipped over one main section because that opens a lot of questions. And those people who are familiar with the style probably know what that is. Um, but he was in the northern part of China. Um, and he's one of these tiger fellows who went south. And is one of the the big influencers when it came down to the Chin Wu, which also called the Jing Mo, um, was a great uh, great endeavor um, to basically unite. At the time, it was for China, Chinese people. Uh, you know, let's let's fight the foreigners. Let's do all this by strengthening ourselves uh, via the country, but through our own selves, being positive, strong individuals. Um, and let's quit all this warlord and, and my style is better than your style and fight the guy in Fuzhou because I'm from Suzhou and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, and it works. Bring it all in. To a large extent because a lot of what we have out there now in Chinese martial arts has some claim to coming through that very organization. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of confusion, though, when it comes to Northern Shaolin and Chen Wu. Um <laughs> You know, for this reason, mainly the main reason is that all the majority of Chin Wu styles are northern styles, external long fist, uh, just the majority. Now, I'm not talking about Bagua Pole and all this other shit. Right. Okay, but empty hand stuff, yeah. I mean, what they did is they took like a form from each uh, of these main styles, from these main respected masters. You had an eagle style guy. You had Mai Zhang Lahon. You had uh, Northern Shaolin. You had, you know, Bagua. You had a lot of different things that popped in there. Um, and this way, everybody gets a taste. They say they get the heart and the root of what traditional Chinese martial arts, the Kung Fu, is. Um, you know, and, 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 and to have that, because there's a, there's a common ground with a lot of Kung Fu. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, whether it be training or fortitude or perseverance or technique or principle, whatever it might be. Now, when you get down to the actual applications of uh, form and stuff like that and the details there, yeah, it splits off. Cool thing with Chin Wu is um, 
you know, they were teaching uh, science. They were teaching uh, history, uh, language, all kinds of stuff aside from just here's a form of my tongue law horn or whatever. They were trying to make it a culturally elevating thing. Exactly. And, yeah, and Because China was taking a drubbing at that point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they were trying to save some of the better th- And aspects. education. Yeah. Uh, they, were, they were tired of the fact of where we are today with there being stopping points in lineage and history uh, because most of the people were uneducated and couldn't write and blah, blah, blah. Right. And so they also helped people to learn how to read and write. Um, and so that's why you'll see in the Republican era of China and a lot of books being published on martial arts. Uh, and Chin Wu had a lot to do with that, you know. But, uh, but anyway, um, Chin Wu, even today, you know, has 10 core forms. Um, and Northern Shaolin, 10 core forms. And Northern Shaolin is a part of Chin Wu. And so a lot of times people get confused also with Chin Wu and Northern Shaolin being the same thing, and they're completely different. They really are. But what you will have, um, Chen Wu had a, had, a, had a pretty big influence on it. There are other factors, um, is what we have today, which are sub-styles of Northern Shaolin. Um, you know, you'll have, for example, my brother Kisu, uh, Jason uh, Winkle out, you know, towards the West and then also in, in, in the mid-states and, Different, different people and different sub-styles in Northern Shaolin where you might have Liu He Bak Lam, which or Lok Hop Bak Lam, which is Six Harmony in Northern Shaolin. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you'll have Lohan Bei Shaolin Chia, which would be, you know, Arhat or, or Lohan uh, Northern Shaolin Fist. So you'll have these other um, sub-styles that come in, both from Chen Wu or perhaps from just a, a random teacher because they've specialized in something else. Because one of the cool things about Chen Wu was that, yeah, you learn these 10, and if you find that you really dug the Eagle Claw, well, then now you go to that Eagle Claw teacher who taught you that first form, and you train Eagle Claw and only Eagle Claw. Chen Wu is a starting ground, a jumping-off point right. um, for, more, for a lot of people. And so, you know... The Northern Shaolin was very much a similar thing. If you went into the Northern Shaolin, you might actually be learning it that day from your Liu He instructor. You know, okay. so there was a lot of different trade-offs. There was a lot of different influences. And at this point, it seems like it's wound up there. You know, there's the ten core forms, but there's a vast curriculum of ancillary stuff that Indeed. surrounds. Like you know, I, I trained Northern Shaolin with you for. You know, five, six years, and mm-hmm. I spent the vast majority of that time uh, doing open door material yeah. and not working on the 10 core forms, but I learned Lian Buchuan and Tan Toy and a broadsword form and, right. you know, also, and also, also a really uh, a, a really broad um, and, and very useful uh, preparatory system, like the, the basics, the fundamentals. Right. There's a really interesting uh, um, just core curricula of of what you need to even be able to do the the 10 classical forms mm-hmm. all the basic training the punch the kick the stance work the you know all just bizarre drills some of which <laughs> i never did get my head around you know right um the talk talk a little bit about that all that sure. stuff that lives around the the core yeah yeah well um let me first address like specifically when you were studying with me um i was not uh at that point in time when you first came to me I was not claiming, well, I probably was subtext-wise. 
but I wasn't allowed to teach Northern Shaolin as a system at that point. Okay. But what what my intention was uh, to teach Introduction to Chinese Martial Arts via the avenue of Open Door Northern Shaolin. Okay. Um, And once, you know, once you got to the point that you finished all that, my goal was basically to string you out until my teacher said I could teach. Okay. (laughs) Fair enough. That's that's completely honest, and uh, that sucks, but yeah. Uh, so, and the reason Look, for it, you know, I don't mind because I spent a lot of time grinding out those basics and those common forms that, that are good grease when you meet another Chinese martial artist like Lian Buchuan and, and Tonto. Oh, yeah. And uh, the foundation I got out of that allowed me to do all the other stuff I wanted to do. True. And, it, and one of the things, you know, I hate to, if, I, if a Northern Shaolin practitioner out there picks this up, they're going to think I'm bragging, and I probably am a little bit, but... Um, one things that you've probably heard, I'd say twice now via this, uh, high podcast through two of our interviewees, um, our version, for example, and this is just one example of Limbu Chen or Limbo Kin, uh, continuous step or continuous striking method, you know, a lot of different ways of calling this linking fist, you know, all kinds of shit. Anyway. Um, there's a whole history to it. It was used to uh, train Republican Army guys with, uh, what do you call them, bayonets. Literally the Army soldiers and whatnot. Um, it, it's very useful. It can be straight line, circular, all kinds of stuff, uh, middle range, short range, what have you. But there's many versions out there, uh, most of them being Changchen or Long Fist as a style versions. Um <clears throat> which most of those versions came out of the Chin Wu and more of the uh, compulsory competitive versions. Right. Um, the version that we have is older than that. Uh, and there's a lot of question as to Lin Bu Chin's uh, history. Some people say a Southern Dragon style. I don't, I don't really buy that. Um, I have no idea. But I do know that it's older, and simply because you can tell from our applications of the form and the way that we execute it. Um, much more power, uh, applications are much more straightforward. Um, well, do a quick call back here all the way back to episode one of hi When we interviewed Alan Pittman, we got on the subject of, uh, Liam Boutron and, yeah. and, yeah. and he's like, oh yeah, I got a version of it from the Chin Wu, but I like your version better. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, that, and that's, that's something else. And, and my students hate that aspect though, because in this day and age of YouTube, uh, you know, you can always see when you look on YouTube for our forums and stuff like that, <clears throat> they always try to do this to refer to other people how they do it and learn something new or whatever, which is fine. Um, but they see, oh, yeah, that's that's Tunda, that's Moifa, that's whatever. Um, that's the same form, but there's a lot of differences in the details. Um, yeah. It's because we, we do focus... Uh, we have a, a performance aspect, but our main focus are, are kind of the yin-yang of uh, extremely martial and also extremely energetic from a Qigong perspective. Um, so we, just, we focus on those two dualities, whereas a lot of Northern Shaolin out there focuses more on the performance aspect, um, which is not, not derogatory in any way, shape, or form. It makes a good buck, and... Uh, and the you. forums lend themselves to that too, because they're very yeah. athletic, and uh, they have some. You know, you're exploring space all around your body. Oh yeah, it's 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 pretty impressive stuff. Yeah, 
But uh, getting back more pointedly to your question, um, in short, what Northern Shaolin is as far as an entire system and style, our curriculum, if you would, um, as a core, there's two intro forms always. Uh, I don't care who teaches it. I don't care who, what sub-style of Northern Shaolin you're doing. There's two intro forms. Um, and they could be Gonglik, you know, uh, or Gonglichia, uh, and Tantoi, um, or they could be Lianbuqian. Dahongchun. Uh, yeah, yeah. All kinds of stuff. Just um, introductory, basically, into the idea is to take somebody that either A, is no martial aptitude whatsoever or experience whatsoever, or somebody who has a lot, but from a completely unrelated style. Um, and be able to give them some of this flavor of here's some things you're going to see later down the road, these ideas, these principles, and here they are from a very superficial basis, um, but also it's wrapped up tightly in a nice, fun-to-do athletic kind of way. Um, that's, that's the main idea in, in the intro forms. And then you're going to have 10 core forms, um, empty hand forms. And those will be the same regardless. Those 10 forms will be the same. What order they're taught specifically might change. Some details within the applications or uh, the movements might subtly change. But overall, arching, you know, I can look at some guy in, in, in Western California who I've never met his uh, Moi Fa, and I can say, oh, that's Moi Fa, and I can judge it, you know, mm-hmm. um, that kind of thing. Now, along with that, you're going to have uh, four weapons, um, pretty much standard, and those are just your basic Chinese martial arts weapon, usually. The broadsword, the straight sword, the spear, and the staff. Um, now, outside of that, uh, there's traditionally 18 weapons of the Shaolin Temple. There can be even more, uh, especially as our southern brothers know. Right. You know, um, but uh, those are, are extras. Um, depending upon who you've learned it from and how many they cared, you know, chose to learn is how many you might have the option to learn or how good they are with those weapons and, and, and if they feel comfortable teaching those. Um, and then where they're going to slide them into the system. Are they going to teach you one empty, one weapon, one empty, one weapon? Are they going to save all the weapons at last or whatever? Um, that's usually up, up, up to the teacher. I mean, there's a uh, kind of... An agreement, uh, a lot of people, you know, after you learn your first indoor, which is Tunda, number six, we start off with number six instead of number one, form, usually people hop onto the broadsword, um, even in some Ouch. of our sub-styles. Yeah. <laughs> well, you hop know. off of that broadsword, that thing will poke you. <laughs> yeah, but it's broad enough. You know? Right, right. <laughs> Unless you're really that big. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so so we've got these weapons, and then we have a bunch of different Qigongs, um, you know that are that are done for for controlling your breath, especially in some of our forms that are extremely long, uh, but also to help you to relax, help you to gain power, and all this kind of stuff. Um, some traditional healing methodology of, of massage and, and uh, manipulation of the body and, and things like that, and first aid basically on on some of the quote unquote advanced stuff is not really advanced by today's standards, to be honest with you. Um, you know, and then we have uh, the gongs, the secret gongs, like we talked about in whatever episode that was. Yeah. 
um, you know, some very specific gongs that everybody learns, and then a, a broader range of, you know, four to six that people can say, hey, I'd like to do this. And well, Everybody does the iron pole and the exactly. iron broom, the box drills. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but then if they want to learn the, the magical chin gong, the run-up-the-wall BS, <laughs> yeah. um, then that's a different gong. But, uh, you know, it doesn't lead you to the ability to run up the wall. <laughs> <laughs> but it can make you kick higher um, and jump higher into a kick, and with the idea being that you're not just jumping up high to kick into somebody, but the key point is one of our quote-unquote secrets, floating root, where you place that root and it's usually through that person as you come down in your landing position um which makes it kind of special yeah yeah i remember you practicing that ugly little jumping kick back in the day where you basically jump up and wrap into a, a twisty or a dragon stance in midair <laughs> yeah, 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 at yeah. about head height <laughs> right 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 <laughs> Uh, yeah that's that's a fun one and, and then you land in that position too. exactly yeah, and and apparently their head pops it. off <laughs> <laughs> like a cork it like sure a looks like it would yeah yeah it's it's tough to do um and that's why i like it i mean i've never tried to pull that off on anybody and right I, right that's one of those we have and we have a lot of those in northern shaolin where they're you know, the applications are pretty fantastical, to be honest with you. There's nothing that, you know, he's robbing you at gunpoint that you're going to really try and go for um, ever. And if you do, you'll end up dead. Um, <laughs> but they're just cool to be able to do, and they're great for Chinese New Year demos. You right. Know? And they're mixed in there with the good foundational solid yeah, stuff, too. Yeah. yeah. Indeed. Indeed. So, yeah, we have that. And then um, what you'll find usually outside of that. Uh, we have a, a special form at the end of the system called 18 hands, um, and that's usually a breadwinner uh, to kind of tell, uh, you know, if people really have learned a system or not, um, is if they have that in their back pocket <clears throat> and how well they do at it. Um, because it's to be an ending form, it's actually very short, very simple, mm. but it's using the principle as you've learned prior to, you're not really taught how to apply those in this form. You're expected to to take a year off and do it you know ah, oh yeah. sorry i see so um so seeing somebody's 18 hands lets you know quickly uh are they full of shit or not um and then there's there's extra shit you know like i spent time in other arts and styles and so if i uh, did get all the way through another style i might add that to my curriculum but you're gonna find um there are certain styles that are common for added options for northern shaolin people um and that's just due to history you know our teacher learned it you know or our teacher shared it with this guy and they shared us this um and so it's just kind of traditional and it, it feel obligated i should learn this too you know and right so but it, it, that's neat though because it helps keep a growing uh, sort of, you know, expanding curricula, and it keeps the art fresh and alive. You got Indeed. your core, but you can change and and sort of redistribute these other options as you see fit, as you carry it forward, or even if you get good enough at something else, you can add it in. True, true. Um, so nice. Uh, well, that's a lot of good information on Northern Shaolin. There, uh, I guess one more question before yeah. we move on on that specifically: uh, the actual self defense aspects of it. Uh, we don't you, have any. 
Oh, okay. Well, moving along. <laughs> <laughs> All right, no. <laughs> Buy a gun. That's right. Uh, now, stay home. Uh, what would you say the the focus generally of this style is when T-Dot it comes down to the to the T-Dot, Okay, well, let's explain that to the listeners. All right, um, T-Dot Nashwai is a, a concept that uh, basically is 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 what Wu Lin is about in that it, it bridges the gap between all martial styles. And what that is is uh, four components of a traditional Chinese martial art. T, uh, or Tui, depending on pronunciation, you know, uh, what? What do they call those damn things? Chinese different languages now. Dialects. Dialects. Yeah. yeah. Um, T is kick, okay? Um, but it doesn't literally mean kick. It, it means it, leg, right? Yeah. yeah. It, it, I mean, the idea is, is a kick, but it means footwork in short. Uh, is the real meaning behind that da uh da is to strike or to hit and literally it can be with your elbow with your shoulder with anything any aggressive martial action that you're doing issuing forth from your body it is not just throw a punch at somebody um na na is uh the second half of the word of chin na which uh is like um grappling um, or bone manipulation, or ligament manipulation, joint manipulation. Um, and this can be anything from ground submission fighting to, you know, oh, grab my wrist, look how I get out of it. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, right. to that kind of bullshit. You know, and granted, I, I say bullshit, but I teach it. You know, I, I teach Well, it's not stuff. bullshit. It's just the basics of upright grappling. It is, you know, and but the problem is. It's, it's very that, rare that someone comes up and grabs a hold of your wrist from a standing <laughs> position. I'm going to drag you over here to your ATM, and I'm going to keep yanking on your elbow till you give me my money. <laughs> no, no, that doesn't happen. Um, but just to, to step aside for a moment and mention why a lot of, uh, especially traditional Chinese martial arts, use that as grounding point, is that nobody does that in a real altercation. But if you've been in altercation, you know that people don't just stand back and, and, and uh, kickbox at each other real, uh, a real Right, instance. they try to get a hold of you. Exactly. Yeah. Key being holding you. Right. And so that is what the idea is. Even though we say grab our wrist. It's it's if it's you would the general metaphor. principle of like learning how to go against the thumb. Or yes. Either, yeah. Yeah. So it's the idea that you're already engaged in combat and how to get the upper hand, um, not via punching and stri- uh, striking and kicking, but how to manipulate your body and the opponent's body to your best advantage. And then you have shui. Uh, shui uh, also is a you know combination. It's the first part of shui jiao. Um, and so that means to throw. Um, and that uh, is basically, you know, that's why I respond with that. The the four aspects of a traditional Chinese martial art, meaning you're going to have those somewhere in almost all uh, Chinese martial arts, even in, in arts where you watch all the forms and you don't see a throw at all. Uh, that's because you haven't looked deep enough. Even in stuff like southern arts where usually people don't throw you'll find places where you can turn something into a throw. Anyway, it's usually referred to for the northern arts, but that is what our main thing is. Um, a lot of times, it, to be honest with you, it's actually one of our strategies too. A very simple principle, um, you know, I always lead in my classes with draw a circle, make a line through it, but this is also another principle that's very beginner level, which is Tidan Ashwai, which is kick or step forward, 
you know, draw their hands up. You know, you're familiar with you, wherever I'm going with this. It's a, it's a yeah. basic principle. Draw yeah. their hands or, or guarding things where you need them to be. Create an opening, if you will. Not manipulate that opening. Uh, manipulate their bodies so that throw, you can throw them down and run away. Uh, or throw throw them away or throw away the violence. There's, there's a lot of different metaphors on the throw. Um, and for us, uh, believe it or not, a lot of it is actual throws where we will throw the person on the ground or into space or whatever. Space, yeah. <laughs> Eject Another them into space. The, uh, through the atmosphere. and uh... <laughs> Yeah, that's how we rule, baby. <laughs> that's right. That's the elbow throw. <laughs> you punch me, I throw you Jupiter away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, yeah, so so that's, um, that's the thing. But we... You know, we can take it to in a lot of different levels um, where we have, you know, our very first form that you learn is called tunda, which literally means close strike or short strike. And that entire form is based on principles um, of infighting, of, you know, the whole Bruce Lee famous one-inch punch, that, you know, kind of stuff, or being gripped up into a clinch and how to get out of it at the same time issuing energy so you jack them back so you can figure out what the hell you're about to do um that sort of thing so even though we're talking about tida na shui very long fisty ideas um we start off with the idea of short power because it's the easiest kind of to develop and 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 to see and most important when you're just starting to learn martial arts is how to deal once somebody's up on you right um so we do a lot of that stuff but in general a lot of the times um we're looking at uh, leverage with uh, with the idea of having leverage, as in, in other words, somebody punches, okay, you dodge, you know, you go in, do you, do you simply go to rabbit, punch him in the throat, you know, ah, gotcha, okay, you're dead, or put him in the hospital, or whatever, or break his arm, or flip him and, and give him a concussion, you know, okay, he just called your grandmother fat, really, does he deserve that? Yeah, come on. <laughs> So what we're looking at here is our degrees of leverage, you know, you know, giving yourself the option of being able to shove him simply away in a controlled manner, um, narrowing down the escalation of yourself being hurt or your loved ones or whoever it is you're guarding and getting paid to or whatever it might be. Um, so that's that's one of the key aspects with a fallback always on Tida Nashwai. Um <clears throat> and Tida Nashwai obviously goes up in escalation as well. Literally from T, you know, a kick to the balls will stop any man, but it's not going to damage him for long, you know. But it's enough to stop the initial problem. Uh, da, all right, well, a punch to the nose. Now you're bleeding. Step away, you know, okay. if you want to just do something simple. Uh, nah, okay, now. I broke your arm. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or dislocate the shoulder or right. just hit yourself, hit the opponent with their own shoulder. That always freaks somebody yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, that kind of thing. Or, you know, if it, you realize they're an idiot, they're too drunk, whatever, then you just throw them and you leave or you ground and pound, whatever your inclination might be. Okay. All right. Well, we're, uh, we're running up on time here for the interview, so, uh, I won't pester you now about all those Good. 47 million other martial arts you studied. <laughs> we can let that leak out over time in, yes. in the general podcast. But it's good to get all that information out uh, about 
Northern Shaolin specifically as as you do it. Right. Um, so of course, before we, uh, before we move along, there's, uh, there's questions I always ask and you know what they are. It's the feet of clay segment yes, of the show. I've and, heard uh, it. now I'm, I'm, I'm used to typically telling these stories about you, not letting you tell them because <laughs> <laughs> I've seen some whoppers, Yes, yes. <laughs> but uh, we're not going to do that today. Today, what we're going to do is let you tell one or two or whatever you want to just, uh, the, one of those stories that we all have as martial artists that may be humorous or embarrassing or just okay. downright uh, silly. All right. All right. So let it rip. Sounds good. Tell you what, we're going to make a deal. I'm going to tell you one of my choice, and then you're going to spur me on to tell one of your choice. Okay. All right. So one of my choice is one that I always tell students and, and people are tired of hearing about forever now is uh, from my time overseas in Singapore. Uh, my very first martial encounter um, for real life uh, that really sucked, you know. Um, I, before Singapore, I've had times where I've had a gun in my face and I've dealt with fights, like fight fights, and I've had to defend myself and all this kind of stuff. But it was in home territory. I knew the overall rules. I knew the environment. I knew the psychology of the situation, all this kind of stuff. And so I was able to react uh, much better than I did this situation. So I had been living in Singapore for about two years at this point, and uh, I would often, with my girlfriend, go into Malaysia, which Singapore's a, a tiny island right off the, the tip of Malaysia, which is a big peninsula, just think of like Mexico, maybe Florida, something. And they're a tiny island. But they're very close to Malaysia, so close enough that there's a bridge that you can walk across, literally. Um, you know, in my first year there, I walked across it and I, you know, got super hot and sat down and, uh, I got, then got detained there at the immigration office for eight hours because, uh, this was when SARS broke out. So when they saw my temperature, they immediately assumed. Oh, they thought you were carrying the bird flu. Yes, indeed. Whoopsie. That was fun. But anyway, so I, we went back and forth, uh, that bridge many, many times, um, and so we'd often go over there just for shopping, literally for groceries or, you know, uh, paper, our monthly shopping, grocery shopping route. It sounds um, like the northern border here in the States where the Canadians and the Americans will pop back yeah, and forth all very the time to, to shop. Or I whatever. mean, you, you can literally see Malaysia from, uh, from the coast of Singapore, not with binoculars or anything. I mean, it's just down the road a piece. It really is. Um, just separated by a little bit of water. But uh, we would we would go over there because uh, Singapore had the strongest dollar in the area, and everything else was half of that, half of that, and half of that. As you went northward into Southeast Asia, um, and you got more and more third world into eighth world, if you would. So you walked across a bridge, and your dollar suddenly doubled. Doubled. Yeah, the value Excellent. of which. I'd like to walk across the bridge. <laughs> well, the cool part was once you landed, literally, you know, or you if you took the bus, you know, you're at this station. They have these uh, fancy, modern-looking shopping malls with modern, uh, you know, stores and stuff like that. And so your dollar still went twice as far, even in these fancy stores. Um, and so we'd go to Care For, um, which is a, it's a, uh, like a Kroger, if you would, over there. Um, and they were in Singapore and in Malaysia, but because they're in Malaysia, it was, you know, half price. If you brought, you know, Singapore dollar in, basically. So we'd go in there, and so I did this alone on my first trip alone because uh my girlfriend at the time had her own things to do 
So I'm only doing a shopping trip, right? But I'm away from my girlfriend, and I've done my shopping, and I have to carry my passport, right? Because I'm actually going international here. You know, I have to yeah. get the border chops and all this kind of crap, and they search you and whatever. Um, so I've I've done my shopping. It's like on a Sunday afternoon. You know, I've done my shopping. It's hot and it's beautiful. I have nothing else to do. I know my wife is, or I'm sorry, my girlfriend at the times. Um, you know not going to be back or expecting me for quite some time so i'm like you know i'm gonna hang out um so of course i went to the pub had me some beers you mm-hmm. know um <laughs> went here and there uh we'll say um <laughs> if you've never been to southeast asia he went willy and nilly oh yeah southeast Hither asia is a different world i'll tell you that what you can do in your spare time is uh storybook stuff here anyway so i had a good time and um then I, I'm sitting at this cafe waiting to hear that the the next bus is back, basically, uh, to go across. And by this time, I'm I'm good into the beer though. I'm, I'm had a little happy time, and um, I'm being friends with everybody at the coffee shop. And it's a coffee shop. It's outdoor. It's not like a Starbucks here. You know, it's outdoor. You're sitting on gravel and these little plastic chairs, and everybody's there, and old men and talking about the old days and everything else, and. And I'm sitting there being smiling because I'm the only white guy in the house. And I'm cheersing everybody. Hey, come here. I'll buy you a beer. Right. So two enterprising young youths realized my. Um, An inebriated condition. My vulnerability, <laughs> yeah. if you would. So um, they, they decided to join me for some of these beers I was offering to the world. And we sat down. We talked. And I thought I had made friends for life. These guys were great, you know. And, um, of course, I missed two and three and four buses being announced for my ride back as the night wore on. And um, I've got basically two backpacks that I'm carrying. And one has my recently purchased groceries, dry foods, and some clothes and whatever little knickknacks. And the other one has, you know, like my uh, change of clothes if anything ever goes wrong because I'm going international and my passport, you know, and stuff like that. So you can probably see where this is going. But um, anyway, I've realized at some point since I'm drinking all this beer, I need to pee. And since I'm in this weird, you know, place, I'm like, I don't even know where the bathrooms are. Hey, buddy, one of the guys who, you know, came to join me is like, where's the bathroom? Oh, it's down here. I'll show you, man. Don't go over here. Um because in Southeast Asia, a lot of the bathrooms you got to pay to enter. Uh, it's only a nickel or a dime, you know, basically. But still, right. it's annoying as hell. And you also have to pay for white uh, for tissue. You know, if you're going number two, you, they don't <laughs> they don't come in the stalls. Yeah, buy them anyway. And uh, so he, he decides to walk me, and, and and he starts walking me, you know, out of the out of the coffee shop down this dark alley. And at the time, I don't, I don't care, and I don't know. I'm so high about my newfound friend for life, you know. <laughs> it's like we're gonna be together, <laughs> <laughs> right? So um, he's like, "Here, let's check out this wall." Now, as I mentioned, there were two guys that came to sit with me, but only one guy walked me down, right? And uh, so I'm, uh, you say on this wall so i whip out my willy and i start peeing all over the wall and humming whatever chinese song you know and uh all of a sudden you know look to my side and realize where'd the other dude go you know he walked me here and about that time i'm literally with pecker out spraying the wall uh feel a knife blade right on the side of my neck 
And on the other side, I feel um, uh, uh, the dude, uh, the other guy who we left, you know, who came around from the other side of the alley mm-hmm. is like backpack now because I was I was doing like my old uh, like, you know, the old folks do. And I was carrying a one of those backpacks everywhere I went. Of course, it was the one with the passport. Right. Uh huh. So. Um, I about shit my britches because there's, you know, a super knife blade on my neck. And I'm like, uh, this is, when you say dark alley, it is not like an American dark alley. You know, the the buildings are crumbling. It is old third world. There's not asphalt under your feet. There's wannabe asphalt, dirt road kind of crap under your feet. (laughs) And, you know, there's garbage everywhere. You can smell, uh, you know, it's, it's, they could have buried you under garbage back there and nobody would have found you for a year. Exactly. Right. So, you know, I, I'm first time I'm, I'm going, what? And I turned to my guy cause I was like, Oh, there's a big knife. in my, you know, I freak out at first and then I'm like, well now what? And I turn around and I realized this is real because this little buddy, the look in his eyes, when I looked at his pupils, um, was pure hatred. You know, I'm, I'm the uh, rich white kid from the United States who, um, needless to say, I, I wasn't rich, never have been, but that was, you know, their uh, view. Right. You know, you're white, you're from Europe or the States and stuff, you're loaded and you're, you're an asshole and everything else and deserve everything coming to you. So I saw that and it hit me like a ton of bricks. The, the intent basically coming out of his eyes, it just kind of exuding off his pores. And I, that's when I woke up and almost shit myself um, because it was the scariest damn thing. I realized this is not back at home where, you know, somebody wants to start a fight and you realize they're all mouth and all you got to do is knock them out before they do anything physical and you win. You know, it's it uh, or even, you know, some of the guys who. who take too long to react basically when they pulled something on you anyway but i realized these guys were meaning business and and it uh i was just a a setup for this whole ball of wax and it scared the shit to me so i had turned to this guy um the one that actually had the knife to my throat i had turned to him thinking it was a joke i woke up and i scared and talk about a feat of clay story you're not kidding my feet were clay and I was scared, and I didn't know what to do in this situation. I was like, I wish Bruce Lee was here, somebody with martial arts or self-defense training, to help me out of this situation. I was scared shitless. And So what did you do? Well, it took me what seemed like years, but of course was, you know, maybe seconds, half a seconds. Um, it finally hit me. I was like, wait a minute. I used to teach Kung Fu. <laughs> I've had, I'm Bruce Lee. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, but uh, I've told this to Alan Pittman. I've told this to you several times. A lot of people have heard this story. Um, one of the things I'm most thankful from Alan Pittman and even from Shaolin, because it's a very typical basic, basic move. Even after 10, so many years of training Norton Shaolin, all I did was pow chain, pounding. Um, that was it. And, and basically what that was is kind of an uplifting, rising block and a strike forward. Um, up block, strike, you know. <laughs> but but in Chinese styles, it's a little, it's different on a subtle basis. I don't know how to say it, really. But I did it with a very uprooting motion um, because once I saw his hatred and anger um, and realized he was willing to, to take somebody's life, my life, um, over the superficial and 
what pissed me off wrong views. I'm like, I am not that guy. You sorry, you know. Right. Um, and so I, I, I leapt for it, so to speak. And my left hand, I was turning to my right. I just kind of scooped, lifted, pushed the bl- blade away from me with my forearm, away from my neck, um, and palmed his ass. And it was pretty awesome because it was kind of kung fu movie like in that. Uh, I was in the right mindset, right body structure, didn't really try to, because especially being 10 sheets to the wind at this point, yeah, it just played out nice, but I bounced the fucker off the back wall, um, and that was awesome. Uh, and I, then, though, seeing that happen in slow motion, I was like, hell yeah, and I'm, yeah, I'm going to pound this motherfucker. So, of course, I went to him and started pounding into his head. The lesson in all this is the other guy left with your bag yes indeed (laughs) (laughs) so i had my my feet of clay kung fu realization (sighs) reaction moment right um but there was this other side of the story where forgetting about the whole purpose of the situation in reality they won um because this whole incident left me stuck in Malaysia for two weeks without a passport. And if you've ever been in that situation, you'll know it's not a pleasant place to be. <laughs> because I had the government and the police and the soldiers asking me, well, how did I get into the country? And I'm like, it's very obvious. I'm telling you the story and everything, you know. <laughs> and, and no, it wasn't obvious to them, and they wanted to give me a hard time. And uh, I had very little money because I only came in there with enough to go shopping with. So I had to get money wires. I was staying in youth hospitals. I had to find a way to get from Johor Bahru, which is on the southern tip of Malaysia, uh, where all this went down, right across the strait from uh, the Singapore Straits, um, up to uh, uh, KL or Kuala Lumpur, the capital of Malaysia, which is like you know, 500, 700 miles up north in the central of Malaysia. It's a huge country like Mexico is. And um, yeah, uh, it, it was a very fucked up situation um, where I had been plummeted into scenarios where I had no answers and I had to come up with real life life hacking solutions to survivability and not uh, getting in serious trouble but it gave me some of the lifelong rewards I met some uh, lifelong friends martial arts people met some great trekkers the hippie folks who hop here and there just on a dime in a backpack and uh, studying tai chi or whatever it is throughout the countries and that's my feet of clay story Okay, well, um, you know, if you wanted me to coach you along into one, moped is the first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> but you know what? Maybe we should save that for later because it, it's not like you're not going to be back on the show. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good point. All right. Well, that, that was really good. I'm glad we had this chance to chat about that. And uh, folks, we're going to dip out and uh, pop cork and we'll be right back to wrap this bag of wax up. What bag good. of wax? What the hell am I talking about? <laughs> We'll be I'm right looking back. at you. Dave yeah. has a bag of wax. Trust <laughs> do me, have, he does, and, and it's earwax too. <laughs> I've been collecting that for a long time. All right, folks, we'll see you in a minute.
Okay, folks, we're back, and we're going to do a quick media mop-up for you here before we sign off. So uh, let's go ahead and let's watch the trailer for Detective D. Detective D. Hmm. Sounds interesting. Here it comes. Now, this is a Choi Hark joint. Yeah, I can tell that just by looking at it. Yeah. All this. Signings. Beautiful period piece. Grand scope. Huge. CGI is not overdone. It's the 800 foot tall Buddha. Hey. Not to be confused with the 900 foot Jesus. <laughs> Non-stop ass-kicking. <laughs> Two hours of breathtaking adventure. Crouching Tiger meets Sherlock Holmes. Hot chick with spinny toy. <laughs> what was that? Old crazy dude spitting chick's face. Yep. Hot chick got naked. Dig it. And then the ninjas show up. Gotta have a ninja. Oh. I love a good foot to the face action. Man with a giant axe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fighting with a deer. Horizontal spinning through the air. We love that. People bursting into flames. The usual. Giant Buddhas crashing to the ground. Don't break my heart with that shit, alright? <laughs> See, Chan, he looks like Drunken Style Master right there. <laughs> that's the old blind guy. Yeah, that's sweet. Alright, so that was uh, the trailer for Detective D. Double E. Yeah. Hang on a second, I gotta put this computer down. Yeah, it looks uh, quite a bit over the top with the magic and mystery and everything else, but it looks like a, a romping good time, too. Yeah, I mean, Soy Hot always does a little bit over the top shit with the effects and whatnot, but uh, they're always done classy in a way that keeps you into the story. You know? Yeah, and they've gotten much better at doing digital effects over there since the days of uh, Zoo Warriors of Magic mm -hmm. Mountain, etc. Et it looks like a copy and paste job. Yeah, with <laughs> these, I was saying CGI, you can tell it's obviously computer generated, but you, it looks seamless. It really yeah. is nice. And I apologize to the listeners. The levels on that may have been a little hot when we started. But, hey, this is why <laughs> Craig and I are doing this first podcast with New Year alone. That's right. So we can uh, we can make adjustments and stuff without embarrassing a guest. Well, alone maybe, like with no other guests. But you are valued listener are on this journey. Oh, yes, us. absolutely. And like I said, we apologize for the hotness of the levels. I think I dialed it back in before it got too bad. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so Choi Hark... Uh, Came out with Detective D, and it's good to see him return to this sort of stuff. Indeed. I tell you what, you're pretty knowledgeable about this area. Um, for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with who this guy is, why don't you, why don't you tell who Tony Hawk is? Uh, he's probably one of the biggest of the Hong Kong movie producers in the, in the 
art house phase of kung fu cinema. He uh, produced the first uh, or directed the first couple of Once Upon a Time in China movies. Oh, yeah. Those um, are great. With Jet Li and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, the Blade, not to be confused with Blade of Fury, but the remake of the One-Armed Swordsman, oh, thing, yeah, which yeah, is yeah, a okay. fantastic movie. Very mm-hmm. dark and gritty. He's done a ton of good stuff. He he's made all kinds of other movies over there right. too. He's done horror films and and straight up action movies and hey, it doesn't have a preference, but more of it for a style of the way he's doing stuff, regardless of the genre of the movie. Exactly. Well, it's, and so his name is spelled uh, what T S U I is his last name, I guess. H A R K is how it's spelled. Yeah, uh, but I don't know how that would be in Chinese. But it's yeah. uh, it, it, I've been assured that the correct pronunciation is Choi Hark. Choi Hark. Yes. Without all right. There's no R though, really, like that in China. But well, okay. Yeah, I I don't know. I I, it's don't. obviously Cantonese, but yeah. uh, you know I don't claim to speak Chinese, so uh, neither do I. But <laughs> th- I got to say that movie does look pretty good. Yeah, and uh, it is. Uh, the whole thing about a mix of Crouching Tiger and Sherlock Holmes uh, is pretty correct. It's basically the story follows uh, uh, this Detective D character of fictional lore who uh, is a, a, a master investigator, you know. Right. And he's been exiled for something, and now a woman is about to become Emperor of China, and all these factions are fighting to keep that from happening or to make it happen. And so I'm guessing Detective D was the uh, beggar-looking fellow we were seeing then. Uh, yeah, he was the guy that spit in the girl's face. Yeah, yeah okay. that was him. Uh, the old beggar guy at the at the very the blind, end, of the, yeah. the blind guy. That's where uh, Detective D had been exiled to a records-keeping house, where they oh. basically their job was to burn all the records. But see, he was getting all the information off the records before he there burned them. So he was keeping his pulse on the empire. Nice. Um, it was tough to see the in the preview it's tough to see the whole sherlock holmes aspect because it's a preview they had to show the action so you couldn't really see any of that right so basically there there's is uh there's a murder mystery plot um they're building a giant buddha for the uh, inauguration ceremony of the first and only woman emperor in china as well they should and uh yeah so they're building this 800 foot tall buddha skyscraper and (laughs) uh the guy in charge of building it uh uh, he's taking some foreign dignitaries on a tour of it, and he dies because he bursts into flames mysteriously and burns from the inside out. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, and this happens to a couple of other people through the course of the film. we got to uh, figure out why and who done it. Right, so there's there's a strong whodunit element. Uh, but overall, uh, you'd watch it more for the spectacular visuals and right. and you know the the fanciful fight scenes and stuff. And there's some really interesting. And but me, crazy I might watch it for the hot chick with the funny hat. Right? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Who, if I'd prepared better, I could give you her name off the top of my head. That's but all right. Hot I, chick will I, do. I can't. Yeah, hot chick with the funny hat. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it's him, and he teams up with this motley group of people uh, after he's brought back in from exile to uh, figure out, you know, who done it, why they done it, and how to stop, you know, the attempted assassination on the on the uh, empress to be. Oh. So, uh, you know, again, we're going to keep this short, but I recommend if you got the old uh, streaming service on the Netflix www.com, yeah. no branding intended. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, that you can pop on and see this right now, and it's a very entertaining two hours. Um, again, two hours? It, yeah, it's a two-hour movie. Okay. Uh, Let me ask you before we pop off or sure. you pop on. 
the martial content, the choreography, uh, um, aside from flying and spinning demon palm type shit, uh, is there any decent uh, hand-to-hand com- realistic combat, or is it pretty much just mainly over-the-top stuff? There, there is. There's some recognizable real stuff in there, mm-hmm. but uh, as, as is common in some of Choi Hark's latter-day stuff, it's all overpowered, right? Right. Fantastic. I mean, but but yeah, superhero. but it's but it's the kind of stuff that's really fun to watch. Well, you know? yeah. Everybody loves to, you know. Uh, my students today, Craig, are you going to go see Superman or the new Spider Man? <laughs> yeah. You know, in in of course martial arts class, you know, right. it's like because that's somehow related. Uh, yeah, hey, you know, if all you need it's is web fantasy. spinners, yeah. But look, fantasy is what motivates us to engage with reality. So it is, it is. Like uh, every person say, we've had on so far, you know, how'd you get into Mars? Well, you know, I watched Black Belt Theater, or exactly. I saw this fantastic movie, or Billy Jack, or whatever. You mm-hmm. know, it's uh, the fantasy is is part of human society for a reason because it motivates us to 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 it's inspired by reality and to, desire too. Right. So you know. I'm not going to complain about that element of it at all. We haven't had a guest yet, and I don't think we ever will. What got you into martial arts? Well, when I was two, my mother was getting raped, and I saw this uh, guy come in and fight him off because he blew his head off or something. You know, no. Yeah, way to take it dark there, Craig. (laughs) Did I do that? (laughs) Did you? You certainly did. So, you know... (laughs) Keeping it light from the Ryu. Yeah. On that happy note, we're gonna we're gonna move on from Detective D. But uh, I give this one. You know, I'm 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 working on coming up with a rating system, oh. a little a little way to really tell you, let you know where Is I it am be on stars or black belts or thumbs up. Come yeah. on, give us a hint. Nunchucks up. Ooh. You know, maybe maybe. Uh, yeah, this... but nunchucks sounds like no chucks at all. How about two chucks up? Well, this one, I, I, you know, out of four chucks, I'm going to give this a three chucker. Oh, there you go. This is a three chucker. It's a, it's a great diversion. It's a beautiful, uh, beautifully filmed movie. There's plenty of action in it. Uh, lots of entertaining uh, asides, uh, you know, weird trips to weird places to find some clue, you know, right. lots of eccentric characters. So while, you know, I wouldn't put this at the very top of my list of fantastic martial arts movies it's a really entertaining movie in its own right and uh so yeah, yeah. the Get dubbing and... or the um it was a it it the it's version subtitles. that you see yeah oh how are the subtitles are they decently translated yeah the subtitles are good and i saw when i read some reviews of it on netflix that uh some people were complaining that the streaming version was not subtitled so they couldn't make heads or tails of it huh. but uh you know i watched it on my kindle fire one evening and the subtitles were there and they were perfectly legible so Maybe they either that it. was something that got fixed, or somebody just had the wrong setting on their machine and was. Right. But, well, no, there were several people that said it. So early on, basically, don't let that dissuade you. Uh, apparently, the subtitles are on there and they're just fine. Yeah. And of course, you can rent this movie now too. It's it's a it's Look a recent it production. You can find it. You yeah, don't have to yeah. find it only on Netflix. Exactly. Netflix does have its problems. I've seen movies that. Uh, stop in the middle and then start replaying like several times. Yeah, sometimes you get a bad transfer. Yeah. Um, but no, this one, it, it looked great on streaming, and I'm sure it would look great on DVD if you got a big home Blu-ray surround. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's gorgeous. Um, so uh, that wraps it up for the media mop-up, and that brings us to the end of another hi 
Hi, yeah. Um, I want to thank uh, my co-host, Craig Kiesling, for bearing his soul and keeping his pants on during the interview. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, pleasure yeah. to do so. I want to remind you, we're going to be coming at you with weekly content, and uh, we've got some good interviews coming down the pipe, and we've got some good discussions coming along. So uh, bear with us as we do our transitioning here, but I think this is going to work out all right. How do you feel about the new recording environment? I like it. I like it a lot. It's um, it's strange getting into these new pants, so to speak, but uh, I'm enjoying it. It's going to take some getting used to, and I hope the listeners uh, bear with us, but Personally, I, I like this. Uh, we got a new format. I love the new weekly uh, format. I love the fact that we're switching it up a little bit, and that I'm excited going forward, to be honest with yeah. you. Yeah, well, I am too. So, people out there in high y'all land, uh, hang on to your hats. we got a lot more goodness coming for you, and it's going to be coming rapid fire. That's right. And so, once again, don't forget, uh, all the different places you can contact us, you know, Facebook, the website, High Up Podcast. And, you oh. know, forget looking up all these different methods or us listening all these different methods. Just go to Google, put in Haya Martial Arts. You can even add the word podcast or you don't have to. Two words You'll in, the, find in, in two, two A's in the yah That's is right. important. H-I-Y-A-A Martial Arts, and you'll find our Facebook. You'll find our website. Yeah. You'll find all this shit. Oh, and by the way, I want to clarify something. Uh, during one of the the last episode to go up before this one was recorded over a month ago. So we were still bitching and whining about uh, reviews on uh, iTunes. Oh, yeah. But people have actually come through and dropped us some good reviews on there. So, yeah. hey, let's keep that going, people. Keep them coming because we that's got like what, three or four up there now. Yeah. It's wonderful. That's what helps us show up when people go looking for a martial arts podcast to listen to. So we need your help. And we appreciate the help we've gotten so far. Yes, we do. All right. Well, that's about all we've got for you this week. But uh, we will leave you with a cheery and respectful. Hi-ya! Hi-ya!